Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, April the 29th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat. My discussions, in my discussion with President Xi, I told him, we welcome the competition. We're not looking for conflict. But I made absolutely clear that we will defend America's interest across the board. America will stand up to unfair trade practices and undercut American workers and American industries like subsidies from state to state-owned operations and enterprises and the theft of American technology and intellectual property. I also told President Xi that we'll maintain a strong military presence in the Indo-Pacific just as we do with NATO and Europe. Not to start a conflict, but to prevent one. President Joe Biden, in his joint address to Congress last night, a look at some of the speech he gave, plus how much of what he said last night will actually get done. I think there's a simple answer to that. And the answer in large part, has to do with us. Welcome back. So I just want to say a few things here before getting to the main topic, which is President Biden's joint address to Congress last night. Um, an historic address in many instances, or in one instance, which I'll get to. And I want to get to that, so I will get to that. But first, a couple of things, uh, housekeeping, if you will. First, I will be off of social media for the next four days, beginning tomorrow, Friday, April 30th, 2021, to return on Tuesday uh, of next week. That would be what? If I think if I do my math correctly, that would be May the 5th. Cinco de Mayo. So I will be back then. And the reason I'm doing this is in solidarity with black footballers in England and across the United Kingdom, who, along with football clubs and authorities in English football across the landscape, will be having a media, social media boycott. In fact, I'm going to do it for a day longer than they do it for. They are going to be running it until Monday. I'll, I think until early Monday, I will be off and returning on Tuesday. Um, so I will continue to do the episodes of the Politocrat Daily Podcast, but will not be posting them on any social media platform. Um, I will be posting them on my website on thepolitocrat.com. Um, which is not part of social media, but you get what I mean. It's an online website for the podcast itself, which I will be updating um, later. Um, it should be updated by day's end um, because it hasn't been updated for a few days now um, since the, the the craziness of this month of April. Oh, boy. But um, geez, this, this month has been something, hasn't it? Um, and I'm just talking news-wise. I don't even know what's going on in... In your own lives, of course, that's not my business. I'm just talking about news-wise. It's just been a crazy month. 
to say the very least. But every month is, isn't it? But particularly this month of April. But I'm going to be off social media um, because the episodes of this uh, podcast will continue on. Ah, you guys are laughing at the back. What's so funny? What are you going? Why are you saying good riddance? Get lost. (laughs) You are so incorrigible. Oh, you're like good and good riddance. Don't have to hear from you for, for on Twitter going off about racism and, and white people being racist. We don't have to we don't have to worry about that for you for four days. <laughs> Five days, whatever. Oh dearie me. But you know, I wish I could be joking about things like this because you can't joke about this. This is really serious. Um and this Social media boycott is serious as well. So I'm joining it. Watford Football Club um, really was the impetus for me to do this because I didn't know about this boycott. I wasn't aware that social media was being boycotted or would be boycotted by English football clubs and by black footballers as part of this message to Twitter and to you know Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else. To their bosses, you know, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg, you know, that I'm sorry, this ain't good enough, dude. You're not doing enough. You're not doing enough to end racism on your platforms, to stamp it out, to root out racists on your social media. You're not doing enough. And they it's true, they're not doing enough. Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg are way below par. They're not doing anything about misogyny. They're not doing they're definitely not doing anything about misogynoir. The number of things that black women go through online with all of these social media people who are not you know, they get attacks every second. And they're getting it from white men, from some black men, they're getting it from Everybody. You know, I mean, and Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg are doing absolutely nothing. Dorsey is doing, is, I'm telling you, they're doing nothing. Dorsey is doing Jack. He ain't doing nothing. Jack is doing Jack about this. And this is the reason that the English Football League, the Premier League, and the other leagues in England, and I believe across the UK, but particularly in England, and all footballers, uh, certainly black footballers, are participating in a league-wide, across all leagues, and the FA as well, I believe, Football Association in England, are all participating in a social media boycott of all social media platforms for beginning tomorrow, Friday, April 30th, and going through to the early portion of Monday morning on May the 4th. I am going to be off social media beginning tonight at, uh, I don't know, it's going to be pretty, it might be even earlier than tomorrow, um, but I will be off social media certainly on Friday. I know, you're happy. Ha <laughs> ha, celebrate. Come on. Oh, festival, come on, party. <laughs> I know you don't care one way or another. I mean, I don't know that you do or that you don't. 
But it, it, it makes no difference to me um, how you feel about that. I'll just be blunt with you. Um, I'm doing this not to say, here, look at me. I'm doing this because I have a really strong conviction about this. And I wish that more people would do it along. I mean, there are some people who are doing it that I know of. But I wish many more people would. Because we need to stamp out racists and racism on social media. And not just in the messages that get sent to us and to black footballers and to black women. But also, we need to have companies that reflect the world so that these social media companies have people who are making decisions on them and in them who are black, right? Have people in them who are doing that and have more women involved. And not, I'm not talking about Sheryl Sandberg and Miss Lean In. Miss Lean In, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about having a real group of people and also having our own social media platforms, which is what we really need to do. Because they who control the medium control the message. And as I've said before here, you cannot have a safe space or expect one if you don't control or own that space yourself. If you don't own a social media network, you can't be claiming safe spaces. I'm sorry. I know that some people won't like me saying that, but you know, that is what that might be. You don't ever think that you have a safe space when you don't own it, right? I, I want there to be a safe space. I'm not sitting here, dear listener, saying, oh no, there shouldn't be one. I'm saying that we can't expect that from people who don't care about us, number one, from the giddy up. And number two, they own the space. They own the platform. They own the company. We don't. We don't. So I really think that we should all be putting our pennies together along with some footballers who are making millions of pounds a month. Some are making almost a million pounds a week. And put, pull your resources together and have an, a social media network. Right? Where we do set the controls and the parameters because these folks at Twitter, these folks at Instagram... These folks at Facebook at Al are not doing that. They're allowing all of this garbage to be online. All these racists, all this pornography that's toxic and that, you know, um, it's just horrible. And it's horrible to women on top of that, you know. And that stuff, you can literally, not that you're looking for it, not that I'm looking for it, but literally... You can get in your timeline or you can get someone following you or you can get someone liking a tweet of yours and you look at who liked it and it's a porn per, it's a porn site, right? It's a porn account and you click on that and you see the blooming videos and then you're asking yourself, why hasn't Jack Dorsey done Jack about getting rid of this stuff online? There's a woman online, and I forget her name, who has been going on about this for years now. I believe it's Pornhub that she stands up against. And I'm with her on it. They use these 16-year-old girls. 16! Like I said, I, I don't frequent or look at these sites. I'm just saying, I'm only repeating what it is 
this particular anti-porn, anti-exploitation campaigner is on about. And I totally am with her. You know, this is just disgraceful. And that stuff's allowed on Twitter. I mean, I'm telling you, I have had tweets of mine liked by porn accounts. I don't care if they're bots. I don't care if they're real. I'm just telling you, I've had that. And you click on who liked it. Oh, you just want to see who it is. And boom, there it is. Where's that, Jack? Why aren't you taking that off your platform? Oh, because you white boys, you like that stuff. You like that porn. You like that shit. You like it. You like it. You like it. So you're not going to ban that, right? Never mind it exploits women. Never mind. Oh, no. But you allow some jackass, right, to say this stuff about women. And you don't ban that either. Let someone tweet out eight seconds of a walk-on video by two football teams. Pre-gaming warm-up introduction. And see how quickly they get banned. Yes, I'm talking about me. <laughs> got banned. I got my Twitter account, my old one, suspended. Banned. For tweeting out eight seconds of a, vi- a walk-on video of two football clubs, including mine, Watford. Pre-game. Walking onto the field. Boom. Suspended. You're gone. But this garbage? Oh, no. I've talked about this before. Oh, no. Can't have that. And so this is what I'm talking about. And this is one of the other. And nothing being done about all these racist messages sent to footballers, to black footballers. Come on. Every game now, every day, every week, every month, every year, you've got the social media Messages being sent, these racist messages to black footballers. And you've got, and before this, this COVID virus, this camp, this pandemic, I'm trying to say COVID and pandemic, this COVID pandemic, as you can tell, I'm struggling with it, saying those two words, this COVID-19 pandemic, that's better, right? Before that pandemic came along, you had, do you remember these cases? If you follow Premier League football, do you remember those cases of fans in the stands openly racially abusing with racism and racist language abusing black footballers. Remember Fred from Manchester United? And you had that white guy in the stands at Tottenham Hotspur or wherever it was racially abusing them. Same thing with the the game between Tottenham and Chelsea. Rudiger has said that there was someone who racist was racist towards him. Oh, and there was an investigation that found, oh no, it, it didn't happen. Yeah, okay, whatever. Wilf, Wilfred Zahar of Crystal Palace last season, just before the end of that season, and you saw what happened there. He pointed on Twitter to this racist stuff that had been sent to him by some 12-year-old boy in Solihull. I did a whole episode on that. And ad infinitum, Callum hudson Adoy at Chelsea. I can go through Troy Deeney at my club, Watford. I mean, this goes on and on and on. So the whole thing is, my point is, is that I am going to be off social media of all kinds for the next few days. The newsletter will continue because that's not social media. That's my um, online newsletter for this podcast. And Thepolitocrat.com will be updated still and the episodes of this podcast will continue and they'll get posted to, you know, the usual platforms, but they just won't get posted on social media. 
That's what I'm saying. You know, that's what I'm saying. Until Mon- until I'll, and I'll be returning to social media on Monday. Excuse me, on Tuesday, May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo. So that's what is going on there. And I just wanted to mention that. I know, I can, I know you're in the background there laughing and saying, good. <laughs> Don't have to hear from you anymore for the next few days. Good. <laughs> but that's what the story is. And I just wanted to mention that here at the top. Um, and, I, and I've done this before with, with issues and causes. And again, it's not about me or this is me and look at me. This is about something I believe in. And it's purely selfish from that standpoint. I believe in this. I believe in solidarity with my fellow black men and women who play the sport and who get racist abuse on social media all the time. And I believe in standing up with them. And I believe because they are my people and they are people who we all should be supporting. And to that end, you know, we should be all in solidarity with that, right? What's the point of me um, tweeting out no room for racism, but then when there is a boycott to stand up against the lack of attacks to prevent racism, the lack of attacks on racists and getting them off your platforms, I'm still on the platform. That doesn't make sense. So look, I'm, I'm going to do that and do it proudly. This I did a few years ago with the Me Too movement. And I want to ask the Me Too movement. Remember when they did with Time's, Out, Time's Up and Rose McGowan and they did this one day or two day uh, social media boycott? I now want to invite them and ask them, will you join me and others and a lot of the footballing community and black footballers and the English football leagues, will you join us in our four-day boycott of social media? Nina Simone, Mississippi, goddamn, and welcome back. Um, a couple other things I want to get to before President Biden's speech from last night. Um, news and notes: Andrew Brown Jr., the assassination of that brother. Um, the 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 responses or lack thereof continue from the authorities there, and it's very clear to me. What you've got going on in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, is a Ferguson, Missouri situation. Ferguson, Missouri, of course, as people you may remember, dear listener, is the site of the murder, the assassination, execution of one Michael Brown. Michael Brown, of course, um, from 2014, August the 9th. I remember it like it was yesterday, and it was seven, nearly seven years ago now. And his body was left in the street for nine or ten hours. At high noon on that afternoon of Saturday, August 19th, excuse me, August 9th, 2014, when Darren Wilson, that killer cop, executed him, 
shots to the head when Michael Brown had his hands up, which is where the hands up don't shoot chant came from. It was from and out of the execution of Michael Brown. And this white male cop, Darren Wilson, executed him at high noon. Literally, it was around 12 o'clock when it happened on that Saturday. And his body, Michael Brown's dead body, was left laying in the street. Open, just open like that for hours and hours. Kids playing, people walking right in that black neighborhood in Ferguson, Missouri. And it was an open message being sent. And that is a continuation of what's been going on and what we're seeing now. And as you saw in Ferguson, when there were cover-ups, there were police chiefs who were doing all kinds of stuff, releasing all this video of Michael Brown from the previous day that had nothing to do with the execution of Michael Brown the next day or the, the few days, the minutes after that, releasing everything but what was going on on the day of, right? And all of this stuff. And we don't know to this day that there's no video of the actual execution. We don't know that for a fact. But we've just never seen it released. I can't believe in this day and age that there was nobody rolling a camera at the time that happened. But here we are. And you saw what happened. The DA in St. Louis or in Ferguson. No, I'm not indicting him. I'm not indicting Darren Wilson. That set off days of protests and response, as you could absolutely understand. And Ferguson, like every city in America, it's not its first rodeo when it comes to cops murdering black folk. It ain't its first rodeo, nor is it the case in Elizabeth City. And what you're seeing there now, and it's interesting, right? The last name of this latest assassinated black person is the same as the gentleman in Ferguson, Michael Brown. So Andrew Brown Jr., right, is assassinated. He was shot in the back of the head. He was shot four other times. He was in his vehicle, hands on the steering wheel. And you're seeing already the DA there in Elizabeth City, not dealing with the family, not attending the meetings, doesn't want the video to be released. Seriously, when all these other authorities do want it released, but the DA doesn't? Well, it's pretty obvious what's going on there. It's obvious to anyone who has eyes and, and, and gifted with sight, which is that the district attorney is in on this and has a very tight working relationship, if not more than that, with these cops who absolutely murdered and executed Andrew Brown Jr. And what the DA is doing is backpedaling and not trying to get involved because it implicates them. And so if that's the case, it's obvious we need a special prosecutor in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, to deal with this execution and to punish these cops, these killer cops. Then they're only releasing parts of the video. Then the judge says, oh, no, we can't release the video. I'm not going to release it. The press doesn't have standing. I mentioned that briefly in yesterday's episode. The press doesn't have standing to have this thing released. And so therefore, we're going to, I'm not going to release it, but I may reconsider at the end of the investigation. Now, this investigation, I don't know which one, because there's at least three different investigations going on right now. 
And my question is, and again, I needed to read up on this before doing this episode today, but I didn't. Terrible me. Is, is the judge not releasing it pursuant to one of the investigations or is he not releasing the whole video pursuant to all of the investigations? And if that's the case, is he not releasing the video at all until all of the investigations are complete? Because if that's the case, investigations could take a week, could take a month, could take three months, could take a year, could take years. Which means that we essentially won't ever see this video potentially. And all the family is asking for is to see the whole video. I think they've been shown a 20 second snippet of it. From which they were able to ascertain that he was shot with his hands on the steering wheel. And this happened in the evening. I had misspoken and said that it was at night. It was in the evening. Close enough. Right? It wasn't completely dark. And the thing is, is that it was clear what happened from the family's perspective. We need to see the whole thing publicly. And the fact that the judge says he would reconsider it, I think it's pretty clear where this is all going. And I'm telling you right now, what Elizabeth City is doing is damage control. They are trying to buy time, in my view. They are trying to do that in order to get the stories straight from these cops, in order to have a plan of defense for these cops, and to have the DA waffle on this and not indict. That is what you're going to find here. It is going to be a Ferguson situation all over again, unless we bring the heat on Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Whether it is people who feel comfortable going down there in a pandemic and there are people on the ground there. Whether it is having national leaders down there, people of prominence who can really bring more media attention because the corporate news media is not touching this, largely ignoring Andrew Brown Jr. They are always, always exceptions, but they are not covering this the way they covered George Floyd. I guess you've actually got to see someone sit on someone for nine and a half minutes before they get coverage now. That's really the thing. And as I keep saying, these murders of us by cops have become passe in this country. Totally passe now. And that's a real worrying thing. It's disturbing. It really is. So look, I, I am really, really um, of the mind that we need to be active. We need to raise awareness. And we need to get in touch with elected officials on the ground in Elizabeth City. And we need to push them. We need to challenge them. We need to tweet them. We need to email them. We need to absolutely make contact with them, call them, right? Elizabeth City, North Carolina needs to be hearing from us, especially the elected officials there. We need to put pressure on the mayor. We need to put pressure on the DA's office. We need to demand a special prosecutor. This is how the sausage gets made. If we sit back and we just say, oh, it's Elizabeth City. I don't live there. I live in California. I live in San Francisco. I live in San Diego. I live in Mendocino. I live in pick a city in California. Bakersfield. You know, the town of Big, you know, pick it. You know, I live, I live in uh, 
Santa Monica. I live, you know, or anywhere else. I live in Sioux Falls. I live in Atlanta. I live in New York City. I live in Des Moines, Dubuque, Terre Haute, Indiana. I live here. I live there. I live in Minneapolis. So it doesn't affect me. It wasn't my child that got killed. It wasn't my daughter that got killed. It wasn't my cousin, mother, aunt, uncle, nephew, father, niece. So I'm not going to lift a finger. Andrew Brown Jr., huh? He and his family can deal with that. There'll be someone on the ground. No, no, no. An attack on one is attack and attack on all. And I really wish that more people would see it like that. That we are in the mode that as long as we're in our silos and we're safe and we're okay, that it doesn't matter. That's something about the human condition and the human mentality is that many of us do adopt that. We're just thankful that our families are safe and sound and to, he- to heck with the rest of it. I'm not saying that's everybody, but there's a deep granular truth in there that may be uncomfortable to look at. And we really shouldn't be doing just that. We shouldn't only be glad that our family is safe or, you know, we should be actually be looking for that for everybody, right? For the vast majority of people on the planet or for as many people as we can, right? We should look out and say, yeah, we need to make a better and safer planet. This is not even, this is not utopia. This is what being a humanist is, right? To want people in India to get oxygen so that their loved ones aren't waiting for eight hours on a line, on a queue, to get oxygen for someone in their family who desperately needs it. That's what's going on right now in India, right? And we've got to put pressure on the Biden administration to get oxygen out there. I know that Boris Johnson is doing what he's doing. And I know that President Biden is doing what he's doing. But we need to keep putting pressure on. Put pressure on that decrepit prime minister in the United Kingdom. Emperor of Sleaze. We put pressure on him. Put pressure on Dominic Robb, the foreign secretary in the UK. Put pressure on him. We have to do this. We have to do this. We have to do uh, put pressure on in Elizabeth City, New North Carolina. We've got to do these things. So that's my thought on that. Um, There'll be more coming, I'm sure. Um, We need to continue to demand answers. Roland Martin has been doing excellent work um, this week, as he always does, on Roland Martin Unfiltered. It is essential that you watch that program. It is on weekdays from 3 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Excuse me, from 3 p.m. Pacific to 5 p.m. Pacific, which is 6 p.m. Eastern to 8 p.m. Eastern. And sometimes the the end time can vary. Um, Not in end times, as in the end is near for the world, but end time of the program. It can sometimes finish a little bit later than um, 8 p.m. East. But the point is, is that it starts at 6 p.m. East in the U.S. It's available on YouTube at YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. 
um, every day, Monday through Friday. So please do um, visit his program and watch it. It's a really important program. You get news that you don't get anywhere else. And I've talked about that from time to time with him. Joe Madison, the Black Eagle as well on Sirius XM Radio. Um, also a really good uh, place to go. The Urban View Channel 126 is where you'll find him from 6 to 10 weekdays, Monday, for, Monday to Friday, 6 to 10 on the Eastern Time in the U.S., and that's 3 to 7 uh, on Pacific Time in the U.S. So that's all I wanted to say about the, that. Um, there's so much to get to, but, you know, so much going on in New York in particular. You've got Scott Stringer, the mayoral candidate there, accused of sexual harassment and assault. I mean, this is just... This never stops, does it? So we've got to keep fighting back and we've got to never stop fighting back against all this. There's so many other things going on. You know, record homelessness in city shelters in New York. Um, The decrepit governor there is talking about ending curfews for food and beverage services and that bars will be open again in May. Next month, bars open again. What could possibly go wrong? Apart from the fact that the governor is already wrong. He should never be in office right now. He should be out, Governor Cuomo. You know? Oh, but now we're going to open up the bars again. With all the variants. Oh, never mind them. The variants. You know, half of New York City is nowhere near vaccinated. New York State overall, you know, you still got barely 30% of the people even vaccinated once, let alone twice, as a full vaccination. I mean, come on. We've not got 40% of the population in New York State fully vaccinated yet. And this clown, this sexual harassing clown, predator, Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo is talking about opening up the bars again. Come on in. In New York City is included. Oh, New York City, the most densely populated city on the planet. Well, uh, in, in the United States, I should say. Nearly 10 and 9 and 9 million or so people in it. You know, oh, you know, yeah, let, what could possibly go wrong? Let's open up the bars. And if we truly want to restore the soul of America, we need to protect the sacred right to vote. Most people, more people vote in the last presidential election than any time in American history, in the middle of the worst pandemic ever. It should be celebrated. Instead, it's being attacked. Congress should pass H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and send it to my desk right away. The country supports it, and Congress should act now. Welcome back. That was President Biden last night during his speech in the joint address to Congress. And it was a her story moment, a historic moment. Last night in that house chamber, as for the first time ever, you saw two women standing 
behind President Biden, even before President Biden came out to give his address, you saw the specter there. It was a really good moment, I thought, for historic proportions, of historic proportions, of the Speaker in the House, Nancy Pelosi, of San Francisco, California, being joined, standing right there next to her, to her immediate right, Vice President Kamala Harris of Oakland, California, the former San Francisco District Attorney, standing right there, right next to her. And you've never, ever seen that before in the history of this country. But it happened last night. And it was a really good moment. It was photographed very well by a photographer for C-SPAN, by the way, who did the video and the photography for the prelude to the address. And you saw uh, a shot from behind both of the women and you saw them looking out on their view of the gallery. It was really a great moment. It was nice to see. And long may it continue, you know. I really do think it's important, things like this. It's not symbolism, it's important. And I know some may dis- you know, you know, dismiss it as symbolism. This is important. We need to see this. And black girls need to see this. And the future for black girls gets brighter when we see more of this. And when more opportunities are open to them. And when they are taught and when they know and understand that these doors are open for them and they can break those doors down with their excellence and their academic achievements and their tenacity and their skill and their talent and their ability and their wisdom and their intelligence. And it's not just about being part of a system. It's more than that. It's about changing that system. It's the kind of thing that Shirley Chisholm tried to do in the 1970s. It's the kind of thing that Harriet Tubman did, the Underground Railroad. I was wearing the Harriet Tubman shirt that you can purchase right now at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. And someone said to me on the street or at a grocery store, I forget which, I think it was a grocery store. She said, who is that lady on your shirt? And I said who it was. You know, I explained who the lady was. And I said that she was a very important figure in American history. And I didn't say black history. I said American history because Harriet Tubman is American history. And that is something that on July 4th, I will be wearing with pride. I won't be waving any flag. I won't be denigrating the flag either, by the way. And I will be wearing Harriet Tubman. Or Frederick Douglass, because that's another shirt that's coming up soon. You will find it soon. Um, I will be releasing that. I want to mention that here now so that you know. And there's a number of other really exciting T-shirts that are coming even sooner than the Frederick Douglass one um, that I think you're going to find to be really uh, good. In fact, stick around by the time uh, 
this day is over, those will be officially released because um, I'm expecting to get some of those in, uh, shipped in um, by the end of day. And when they are, I will officially release um, them. And it may come before the end of the day, but we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, but you could visit the-politocrat.myshopify.com for all of those. There's some really good ones that you're going to find there. I promise you by a day's end. But again, it was an historic or historic moment um, last night and black girls everywhere can be proud. Um, but also we can push forward and push through and revolutionize and overturn a system that really has not served black women well. When you're living in a country where black women are three times more likely to die in childbirth than white women are, that is not a country where people are free. Excuse me, that is not a country where you have freedom. When the wealth gap between white people and black people in this country is such that it's at least 10 to 20 times more So white people have 10 to 20 times more wealth than black people have in the United States. That is not a free country. I mean, hello. And then look at the history. Look at enslavement. How was it that white people have 10, 20 more times the wealth that black families have, black people have? What do you think? Where do you think that comes from? It ain't because white people are are smarter and more ingenious than we are. That's not what this is. It ain't. That's not it at all. They're not more smarter and more ingenious than we are. There's something called enslavement. There's something called J.P. Morgan and ill-gotten gains and Leland Stanford and the gold rush. The so-called gold rush. What do you think that was? It wasn't, oh, look, we found gold in down there hills in San Francisco. It's, no, motherfuckers, you motherfuckers murdered Native Americans. <laughs> Come on. And, and you've got teams called the San Francisco 49ers. And I see black and white people wearing these hats with the 49ers on it. And they're the little kids pushing them in strollers. And you've got a 49ers hat on. And you don't know where that came from. And if you do, you don't care. And you really don't know because it's glossed over and prettified and whitified. And ooh, the gold rush. Isn't that lovely? No blood on that gold. I don't see any blood on that gold. And then you look at the colors for the San Francisco 49ers. And it's red and gold. (laughs) And the red ain't for blood. Come on now. <laughs> oh, boy. I, 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 I don't know what to tell you, dear listener. I don't know what to tell you. And I want to, you know, talk about this speech. <laughs> talk about a segue, right, from that. I want to talk about the speech last night. What did you think about it? I played you a couple of excerpts. And at least a couple. And and I will tell you that I thought the speech was good. I thought Joe Biden, President Biden, was fluid 
it was one of the more fluid speeches he had ever given on the on the form of the speech. And I think it was one of the better speeches he had given. The only other two speeches that I think were better than what he said last night were A, the DNC acceptance speech for the nomination for the party back in August of last year. I thought he was very good there. That might be the best speech he's given um, in the last goodness knows how long. I think it's the best speech he's given in a long time in his political career was that one, um, the DNC speech, where he accepted the nomination for president in Delaware, went Wilmington that night. I thought he was very good that night. I also thought the inauguration address was very good. And I thought that this address last night before the joint session was a good to very good one. I'd say good. Um, he hit a lot of notes. He hit a lot of areas. He was obviously very much forward thinking. I think it was really refreshing to see someone in that position at the White House. And in this case, last night specifically at that lectern, at that uh, spot in the House chamber. And you could actually feel a little bit of something about this country. I wouldn't say that it made me overwhelmingly overjoyed, but there's a little something in you when you see someone who you know cares, right? Now, again, I've said ad infinitum about Joe Biden that there is a lot to be very concerned about with him and there is a lot not to like in terms of his record historically, in terms of his treatment of women. I have gone on record ad infinitum talking about that and there's a lot of people, unfortunately, in politics who have done these things, right? And they're still in politics. And we need to get rid of that system that allows people who abuse women or who do, who do a lot worse than abuse women, and that's horrible enough, to still be running for president, to still be doing this. The last guy who was in that office, look at his record on that, Right? And then that's what we get to vote for. We get to pick between two people who have done heinous things to women. Right? So you know this, dear listener. If you listen to this podcast long enough, you know what I've spoken about with Joe Biden. And I've even said it many times. I don't, I'm still uncomfortable with the fact that I voted for someone who I think is a rapist. I wasn't there. But I do think that he raped Tara Reid. And, you know, and again, I know some people will say, well, why are you talking about that now, Omar? He's in office. Well, you know, again, we have to keep looking at the circumstances of everything. Yes, he's in office. And quite frankly, I am thankful that the American public decided to go with Joe Biden and not Donald Trump. Because white Americans for two elections voted for Trump over Biden. The majority of white voters voted for Donald Trump in two elections. So don't tell me, oh, well, most white people don't support Kyle Rittenhouse. They don't approve of that. Don't tell me that when most of your asses voted for Trump twice, motherfucker. Both of most both elections. More white people voted for Trump than didn't. So don't tell me, oh, but no, 
there's no way they could approve of what Carl Rittenhouse did in Kenosha to those three people. He blew the arm off of one and shot the other two dead. There's no way what most white people approve of that. Well, they approve of Trump. And Trump was supporting this guy, Carl Rittenhouse. So you can make the inference if you so choose. We cannot be naive. I told you. San Francisco, I walked down the street here not too long ago. It was earlier this week. And there's a Trump sticker on a parking sign. No parking between this place and this place. And someone stuck a Trump. You can see it was stuck on there. I guess someone tried to peel it off. But you can still see the Trump sticker there. I don't know how long it's been there for. Right down the street. Here in San Francisco. In the month of April in 2021. So please do not sleep on this. Right? In the so-called liberal city. Don't sleep on this stuff. Do not sleep on it. You've got a majority of white people who vote. Voting for Donald Trump in 2016 and last year in 2020. And if it's not for black people and brown people and some white people who have conscience. We would be looking at another term of. The Nazi aspirant. And trust me, if he had got in a second time, he wouldn't be leaving ever. And that would have been a real freaking problem. You already saw what happened on January 6th, didn't you? You didn't forget January 6th. You didn't forget your January 6th, 2021, did you? So all of that is the background to last night. And so therefore, the reason I'm saying all that is, yeah, it did feel good to see President Biden standing there and not Donald Trump. It did feel good to see someone who actually cares about people and has some empathy in him. Even though, yeah, I have issues with some of his policies and I didn't like the fact that he dropped bombs on people. How's that for empathy and compassion in Syria? Right? I, I'm not in favor of that. And our foreign policy has been like that for centuries, right? For a century. I just want to say that I thought the speech was good. I I didn't like some parts of it, you know. I didn't like the fact that he, and I'm going to play it to you right away, because I think you should just listen to this. I'll play this for you right now, actually. Listen to this. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. We're not going to ignore that either. My fellow Americans, look, we have to come together to heal the soul of this nation. It was nearly a year ago before her father's funeral when I spoke with Gianna Floyd, George Floyd's young daughter. She's a little tight, so I was kneeling down to talk to her so I could look her in the eye. She looked at me, she said, my daddy changed the world. Well, after the conviction of George Floyd's murderer, we can see how right she was if, if we have the courage to act as a Congress. 
We've all seen the need of injustice on the neck of black Americans. Now's our opportunity to make some real progress. The vast majority of men and women wearing a uniform and a badge serve our communities and they serve them honorably. I know them. I know they want them. This is the thing about President Biden, Joe Biden, that I, I, I've, look, again, um, no, 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 no. Most men and women in uniform wear their badge and serve their communities honorably. Well, ask Andrew Brown Jr.'s family. Ask Breonna Taylor's family. Ask George Floyd's family. Makia Bryant's family, Adam Toledo's family, Laquan McDonald's family, Eric Garner's family, Alton Sterling's family, Philando Castile's family, Terence Crutch's family, Tony McDade's family, Sandra Bland's family, Rakia Boyd's family, Tatiana Jefferson's family, John Crawford III's family, Tamir Rice's family. Michael Stewart's family, Philip Parnell's family, Botham Jean's family, Michael Brown's family, Rayshard Brooks's family, Mario Gonzalez's family, Angel Zapata Hernandez's family. Jessica Hernandez's family. Ask all those families if most men and women in uniform wear their badge and serve their communities honorably. That's just a partial list that I've just read out off the top of my head. I don't have any script in front of me. You know that. I don't use scripts for this podcast and it shows. Or it sounds. But ask those families, President Biden, Mr. President, ask them about whether that happened. See, so lines like that to me, I'm sorry, don't appease these folks. These police unions have all this power. And they represent most men and women in uniform. And those police unions are pigs. That's the nicest thing that you can say about them. And I don't really want to say anything nice about police unions. They're just Gestapo. Ask, ask those protesters who are peacefully protesting in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, what honor is. And if those men and women in uniform who stood up there in stormtrooper uniforms were serving the community honorably. When one of those Cops turned around and said to one of the black protesters, F your mother. Is that honorable? So, I mean, again, and I know President Biden didn't necessarily write this speech, but he said the words and he obviously rehearsed the speech and he didn't think to get rid of that out of there. And you see, when you weave in lines like that, Whoever did the speech, whoever wrote it, and we know who delivered it, but whoever wrote, when you, who's writing the speech? 
when you weave that line in and then talk about George Floyd before that, and you know that these people who wear the badge and serve honorably want to help meet this moment to make progress, do they? When have they ever made statements saying that this just verdict last week was just that, just? That Derek Chauvin being convicted was a just thing and it was a great thing and we support it? I have not heard anybody. Now, there may be one or two, but yeah, I've not heard that en masse from most of anyone in the police departments across this country. They are silent. You don't hear any of that. So I'm sorry if you can't even get most of the police departments in this country just to say this was the right verdict and we are grateful for it. And this must be the beginning of the deterrent of police murdering black people. If you can't even put out a freaking statement, a generic ass bland vanilla statement saying that at minimum. You are not one of the most men and women in uniform wear their badge and serve their communities honorably. Because police unions didn't say jack after this verdict last week. They said nothing. You didn't have Pat Lynch of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association in New York say jack about this verdict. I And if they have, tell me. You can email politocratpod at gmail.com let me know. But I'm telling you, I've not come across it. None of these police unions have. The one in Minneapolis with that racist ass who I think had to step down from the union, he, he's a racist ass and he, I think he was associated with the Klan there in Minneapolis. He's been police union head for, had been for years. Trump supported everything. He didn't come out and condemn that verdict excuse me <laughs> yeah he probably did come out and condemn it he didn't support the verdict he didn't say we support the verdict none of these police unions said we support the verdict so you know that's my thing with biden you know he will say these things that they're so tone deaf you know same thing that he also said earlier in the speech when he talked about um Oh my goodness, and I'm scrolling through. Now, I, what I do have in front of me is the speech. Um, the actual, as, as prepared remarks. And, cause he, and I did listen to the remarks um, live, watch them. And then I went back and read the speech and then played the speech that was live next to the remarks I was reading and listening back at the same time. <clears throat> So I like to think I'm pretty familiar with the speech, but yet here I am. There was a thing that I, um, oh, here, here we go. This is it here. This is the thing that also irked me last night. Before I get all the good stuff, the bad stuff I'm going to get out of the way first, right? Is when he talked about cracking down on millionaires and billionaires and the IRS will do that. And, and he says, you know, that's estimated to be billions of dollars. And then he says, look, I'm not out to punish anyone. But I will not add to the tax burden of the middle class. Okay, great. You're not adding to the tax burden of the middle, middle class. That's really good. But the problem is, is where before that he says, I'm not out to punish anyone. Well, you should be out to punish the billionaires because the billionaires have punished us. They've punished the working class. They've punished the middle class. They've punished the United States. 
that's what this is. And you're, t- you're pandering to them. And the reason, of course, why he's doing this, cynical or not, right, is because these are the people who are putting money in his pocket. Wall Street is putting money in Joe Biden's pocket. There were reports from CNBC and other publications last year that Wall Street put money in Buttigieg's pocket, in Kamala Harris's pocket when she was running, and in Joe Biden's pocket when he was running. It's par for the blooming course. So that's why he says, well, I'm not out to punish anybody. Yes, you are. You should be out to punish somebody, I should say. These billionaires have made our lives a mockery and a misery. Just ask the Amazon worker. Billionaires don't give a rat's ass about them. Look at the way that Jeff Bezos treats those workers at his own company. Look at the way those workers are treated. You should be out to punish them, President Biden. You really should. See, when someone has to say, I'm not out to punish you. Well, you know, that that shows you where you are and it shows you what kind of country you're in. That should be a very easy thing to say. Look, millionaires and billionaires will not have a safe haven with their money as long as I'm president. What if President Biden has said that last night? black man who sees the world the way John Wayne, for example, sees it, would not be an eccentric patriot, but a raving maniac. That message is for you, Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. You must be a raving maniac. For you to say that there is no racism in America, America is not a racist country, And in the same breath say, well, I've been pulled over by the police many times. You must be a raving maniac. And by the way, you know, these people on social media who are white, who are using that term for Tim Scott, knock it off. You don't get to use those two words to talk about our people. I know you want to use just one word to talk about Tim Scott or our people in general because that's how you really feel about us anyway. And I don't care that you're straight, that you're gay, that you support the Democratic Party. I don't give a rat's ass. There are lots of racists in the, who are Democrats. This ain't about what party you're in, which is why I found a lot of Republicans and even Trump supporters saying, okay, yeah, that's beyond bounds. And of course, that's like literally the pot calling the kettle black coming from them because they're only doing that because the person being slurred is a Republican black person, not a a Democratic black man. If that was a Democratic black man or woman whom Donald Trump did plenty of racist slurring against when he was in office, they would say nothing. They would be championing it. So I really don't need their support. And you can just unfollow me because I've just already um, committed to blocking people like that anyway. So, you know, come on now. Give me a break. I actually started blocking people who retweeted what I said about this guy 
on social media, Scott, whatever the heck his name was, Scott Nevins or whatever the hell his name was, who has had a history of using those two words. Right? You know, I'm not going to mention them. I don't even use those words anymore. I've stopped using them, right? To describe black people who say bullcrap like what Tim Scott did yesterday. Malcolm X has used those two words and he has every right to when he was alive. He had every right to use those words. I just don't use them anymore. But a white person, you don't have the right to be using that, those words. I know you really want to use one word. The one word with six letters begin, beginning with N, that racist word that you want to use. That's what you really want to say about Tim Scott. And however reprehensible Tim Scott is, you can attack him on what he says and call him an ass and a jackass and even a motherfucker, as I have done. But to be calling him the two words that some of these people were on Twitter last night? No. You don't get to do that. And your lame apology ain't going to cut it. Especially when you've been caught on Twitter using that word at least four or five other times, using those two words. And you call yourself a person who is a Democrat and you're, you're gay and you're this and you're that and you're in this thing and you're in that thing and you're a gay man, gay white man. There's racism. I'm telling you, just because someone's gay, it doesn't mean they can't be racist or that they're not. Don't believe me? Ask the black lesbians here in San Francisco about that and about those gay clubs in San Francisco that weren't allowing black lesbians in and were calling them end this and end that. These white male gay clubs, right? And these white male gay persons who were calling black women who are gay all kinds of racist and homophobic things. So please, I don't want to hear it. If you're a lame apology, I tried to do an ironic joke about, oh, please, you'd irony my ass. You wanted to call him N, and you were just upset that you had to stifle that. Oh, like the judge in Colorado I talked about last week. Oh, my goodness. Why do you get to use it and we don't? Well, I don't get to use it and no one should use it. And least of all, you should never be anywhere near that word. And those two words. You all take liberties. Some of these people take so much liberties. Why do you want to use those words in the first place? Oh, I want to use it. I want to use it. I want to use it. Women call each other the C word. I never use that word. I don't want to have a desire to call a woman that. Why? Why do I have a desire to call a woman that? Hmm? Why? If a woman even said to me, I want you to call me that, I would never do it. I don't know why a woman would want to say with that, but... I just, come on. Women get to call each other that. I don't like when they do, but they get to do it. That's their business. I, I won't do that because it's not right. And I don't believe in that. So why is it that some of these white people are begging? Oh, oh my God. Why can't I say it? Ooh, you say it. Oh, oh, what? Why? Why is there this fervent rush and desire to be using those words? 
Oh, oh, I can't use it. It's because I'm white. I can't use... What? Some of the absurdity that comes out of the mouths of people that I hear, you won't believe it. Believe me. I wish I could be recording this stuff and playing it back to you so you could actually hear it for yourself. Because my goodness me, if you're black, you've heard it all. for the good stuff <laughs> ah the good stuff and there was there's a lot of things that were good about this speech yesterday evening um, the mission toward being back in the well he is they're back in the uh, Paris Climate Accord I like the fact that he mentioned that and talked about it and talking about uh, carbon emission standards and improving uh, those standards so that uh, the United States can really call themselves uh, a country that's not polluting so vigorously as it is and as is China um, and, and a few other nations that really make up the bulk of the pollution of this planet, uh, of the polluting on this, on this planet, if I can speak. My goodness. It's so funny when people say, oh, you speak so slowly. And obviously I'm not speaking that slowly if I'm tripping over my words. <laughs> oh dear 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 it's funny it's funny what people review and what they write and um, you just laugh at it you really do the show must go on and the podcast will go on I don't care whether people like the podcast whether they don't I know that people listen to this podcast and I just want to say thank you for doing so and like I say I will be soon putting up a um doing another giveaway, two giveaways, um, for appreciation, for thanking you for, um, for doing, for doing this, uh, for listening, because it means a lot. It really does. Um, it means more than a good or bad review. Uh, it really does, honestly, because your ear tells me that you do like what you're hearing or you do appreciate listening to the podcast. You may not always like what you hear from yours truly, but you listen, you engage by listening. And that means more to me than someone writing a good review of the podcast or someone writing a negative review of it. You know, honestly, right? Um, but again, like I say, um, it's like Yelp, right? You get on Yelp, you'll get good reviews for something and you'll get bad ones. And like Mike Figgis, the filmmaker, once said, as someone recalled to him, you are duty bound. If you believe your good reviews, you're duty bound to believe or read your bad ones. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, people put all kinds of things, some positive, some negative. And there are people who deliberately put negative reviews up to lower your rating or to try to influence people. It happens. There's nothing you can do about that, right? And there's nothing that that Yelp can do or does or chooses to do about that. Uh, for obvious reasons, though, by the way. But that happens, right? So keep that in mind. Whenever you read a review of anything on a podcast, on a movie review or anything, there are, I mean, movie reviews may be slightly different, um, but there are reviews you're going to see that are positive and there are ones that you're going to see that are negative on Yelp, on podcasts or anything. So I want to mention that as well. Um, but I reviewed Joe Biden's speech and I think, again, if I were to give it 
out of 10, I'd say it was a 6.5 to 7. I thought it was a good speech. 7 would be good, I think. Um, anything higher than that, I think, is very good. But I rated a 7. I thought it was very good last night. It was a positive, upbeat speech. As I, I think I alluded to earlier, it was a speech that encouraged people to feel a little bit better about where the country was trying to get back to. I don't know that people were feeling great about the country. I don't know if they were feeling better about the country. I think some people, if I look on social media at least, were feeling a bit more proud to be associated with the country. Whether they were proud of what the country is right now and what it's been, I don't know. You know, I can tell you as watching the speech, I again, as I said earlier, I was happier to see Joe Biden giving that speech than Donald Trump giving it. As much as I have, you know, spent time on this episode, um, for the few minutes I did criticizing some or one or two of the things, President Biden was really good otherwise last night. I thought what he said about the climate was very positive. What he said about getting American jobs and the American Families Plan, really important plan that is. This is really, really good. Um, he It's a review uh, partly of the uh, over 160 million payments made to families regarding um, the American Rescue Plan that got passed um, earlier this year. The American Families Plan is a really important thing. And I think this is the, for me, this was the highlight of his speech. Adding at least four years of free education, um, pro- providing support to families directly and children, giving further tax breaks to families with kids. I think that's really great. And American workers in general, that is really important. Having um, more affordable college. Now, I know um, during the campaign, it was free tuition for some of the candidates. Universal school, universal income. This is good. This is good. This is what a lot of other countries are already doing. Right. If you go to some of these other countries, I think Denmark, again, my favorite uh, country to highlight. I think they already have universal basic income there. I know in England they, they are doing it or they've done it. They call it universal credit. There have been some ups and downs and issues with universal credit is actually done by a conservative, Ian Duncan Smith. Oh, my God. He's been made a peer, by the way. You know, he's now sir. Oh, excuse me. He's not a peer yet. Uh, he's a so he's now been a snake knighted. The queen knighted that guy. Oh God. Ugh. Ian Duncan Smith. He used to be the Conservative Party leader in the UK, by the way. But Ian Duncan Smith was the one that came up with the bright idea of universal income. And some people are happy with universal income, and some are not. And I think for very good reasons. But the point is that in several other countries around the world, there are these kinds of things in place. Here in California, by the way, Oakland has started universal income for a fixed group of individuals. And the mayor, Libby Schaff, um, is implementing it or has done. And it has been tested as a trial run in several communities in Oakland, California. 15, 13, 14 miles away from here, east of San Francisco, across the San Francisco Bay Bridge. And there are other places, I think San Francisco is exploring this too. Recent news of that, that the mayor 
and the Board of Supervisors, I believe, are looking into possible universal income, universal basic income in San Francisco. And you would have thought that particularly places like San Francisco would have done this already, right? You would have thought that, but no, no, no. You know, again, I think people in this town think they are more progressive than they actually are. And perhaps know it. (laughs) Because that's progress, right? If President Biden can talk about these kinds of things he did yesterday. And this American Families Plan is the bulk of what it was. I think, you know, this, this effort to educate more people. If he can mention that and actually commit to it. I think we're on to something. A proposal of $62 billion of grant program to invest in in, uh, making sure that people graduate and get better facilities at these schools for people in black and brown communities or low-income communities in general and to enhance community colleges and and provide tuition that's subsidized that is free tuition in two-year schools and HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. I mean... Having uh, people who earn less than 125000 a year enrolled in these HBCUs, a four-year program, four-year schools, and a $40 billion program for that. I think this is excellent. This is the good stuff, right? This is the thing that you say, yeah, here's someone that cares. Education, better teachers, uh, better quality teachers, more certified teachers. Black teachers, I told, didn't I mention this the other day? We need more black teachers in these schools. And this plan calls for that. Only 20% of the teachers in these uh, schools are black. I talked about these white teachers, some of whom um, don't give a rats about black kids. Some of whom do. Right. And I talked about that racist white teacher who had her podcast or her show that spoke about the Nazis and how, oh, the Nazis were this and they were great and they were that and all this anti-Semitic garbage and evil and 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 exalting Trump and saying that black people are this and that all this racist stuff. And she's teaching black kids and then going into the school and teaching all this racist garbage in her school. You can go look that up. I'm not making that up. I'm not making any of this stuff up. So these programs that President Biden called for and is proposing, I think are excellent. This is kind of what the great society should be, right? Part two of that, LBJ, although there's no, you really can't compare. LBJ actually did do something, right? And he actually cared about this and he twisted arms till they broke, basically, in Congress, in the Senate. He was the no, come on. He was the president of the Senate at one point. And he, and he used his time in the Senate. He had a lot of clout. And he used the levers of power to get what he wanted to get done. And he did, and he did it by getting in people's faces. Now, this president, I haven't seen a lot of that thus far. Now, I don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. But judging upon what we saw during the American Rescue Plan negotiations and Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema running wild like wild donkeys. I mean, that's the symbol of the Democratic Party is donkey, right? 
I'm not saying anything derogatory. That is the symbol of the party. Is a donkey or an ass, right? If you look at that, I think it's a donkey or an ass. <laughs> Depending on which you might describe. But that's the, sim- that's the party symbol. For the Republicans, it's an elephant or a Nazi swastika or a swastika. That, you know, that's theirs. But I'm just saying that President Biden can get bolder. And I think this speech represented some of that. I thought that the American Families Plan was a really important segment of his speech that I hope gets more coverage in larger platforms, um, high quality care, care in the workforce, paid leave. We, do, we are just so behind on that. Women should be getting paid leave. They should be getting that for more than just a few days or weeks. This should be something that happens um, oh my God, this should be happening for months and months. In Denmark, um, a woman gets paid leave for as long as she needs it for or wants it for, right? If a woman is on leave in Denmark, her company pays her. And not only does she get paid, she gets additional monies. Oh, and I've said this before. Oh, you want something to deal with laundry? Here's money for your laundry, separate from the money we're giving you to pay you on the wage. Oh, and if you want money for this, here's money for that too. We'll give you money for that. How? Seriously, I'm not making that up. I don't make any of this up, dear listener. They do pay separately, aside from the paid leave. So if this maternity leave, a woman gets to have that maternity leave for as long as she needs it. Over here, what is it? Maternity leave is what? A few short weeks? It's really short. It's not very long. Paid leave. We want paid leave. That should be something that should be happening. Can you imagine 80% of private sector workers having no access to pay leave? They're not getting paid leave. And black women are not getting access to paid leave. I mean, if they are part of the lowest wage working group and many black women are as well as black men they're not getting paid family leave what president biden is doing with this american families plan is a really good thing it might be one of the best things that has been done since the great society programs of lbj and this is really important Creating these uh, family leave programs, it makes a big difference. Giving workers a, a maximum of 4000 a month. Uh, you know, a minimum of two-thirds of average weekly wages replaced. Rising to 80% for the lowest wage. I mean, these are good things. I think it can go even further. But these are good things. Program cost a quarter of a trillion dollars over the next 10 years. This is really good. I'm telling you. Here's somebody who cares about you. Who cares about the safety net. We need it to be larger. I want it to be larger than this. It should be larger. Trying to do a Boston accent, which is not working. It should be larger than this. But I'm telling you, this is this is a really good start. These are all proposals, though. And you know what that means? And I'm not, I haven't even got to all of them. We have to get out there 
And we have to support this and push for more. We should be getting a $15 an hour minimum wage, not just federally, but across the board. And we should be getting that now. We should have Medicare for all now. Of course, that's the one thing that President Biden is allergic to. He will not use the words Medicare for all in any speech because he doesn't believe in it. He believes in continuing to tinker with Obamacare. And I think that, and I've been telling you here, that if you're not someone in the United States who has any health insurance, you should sign up with healthcare.gov. And I still say that because I believe you should if you don't have any health insurance. What I am also saying at the same time is that we also need Medicare for all in this country. Every other nation has it. They don't call it Medicare for all, but they have protections. We don't. We're the only industrialized nation on this planet that doesn't. So to feel proud to be American when you've got no health care insurance or when you've got a nation that does not have a government-run health care program for everybody, they only have it for people over 65 at the moment or whatever, and people who are poor, Medicaid, and not for everybody, that is nothing to be proud of. And we can do much better than this. We should do much better than this. We have to. If we're the richest country on earth, and if we say we're the beacon of light and hope for everybody, we've got to be the beacon of light and hope for ourselves. And I think that this is a good start from President Biden, but it's got to go further. President Biden is out today, has been out today, stumping um, the American Families Plan and, and a lot of other things in his speech, which I thought were really good, solid things. We can't do everything all at once, but my goodness me, incrementalism cannot be the default position because it has been the default position for Democrats for a number of decades now. And not since LBJ has there been this really great sweep. One might say that Obamacare was part was a great sweep, but really, we really should be at Medicare for all yesterday, yesteryear. And we really should be doing and having all this stuff done, 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 done in a heartbeat. I know we've got to fight through all these lobbyists and we've got to fight through the Republican Party and some of these Democrats who are also standing in the way, like Cinema, like Manchin. We've got work to do is the bottom line. We've got lots of work to do. And um, we better start doing it, you know? Because where we sit here in the United States is very fragile. People are thinking on the one hand that, yes, President Biden's in. Yes, Vice President Kamala Harris is in. Yes, the Democrats control all three branches. However, it's a tenuous control. I'm still of the mind that the island on which President Biden and Vice President Harris stand is ever shrinking. And the alligators from the Republican Party are snapping at their heels. And there's this small window of opportunity before that island completely gives way from under them. We've got to have their backs and push them at the same time. I am a firm proponent of pushing an agenda. And I've said this for months now. You have to keep lobbying the president that you like, not just the one that you don't like. 
You've got to lobby and push these people. You cannot get complacent, you know, and letting Vice President Harris deal with the immigration situation and deal with these other things. It's like clean up on aisle five. It's a really condescending thing. I know she can handle it. Well, yeah, maybe she can. But is that her area of expertise, immigration? Is that Vice President Harris's area of expertise? What about putting her in a situation where she's dealing with criminal justice, so-called reform? I mean, she would know about that kind of thing. She was a DA here in San Francisco for, what, eight years. She was the attorney general of this state, California. Second biggest uh, attorney general's job in the country is here in California. Instead of putting her on immigration detail, put her on something that befits her experience. You know, I'm not saying that she couldn't do something with immigration, but the immigration issue here is so much bigger than one person trying to do something. You've got to scrap the system that's not working or that is working for the people who want to keep oppressing the brown people and black people that try to come here to escape political persecution. You've got to overturn, overhaul and dismantle, destroy that system and have a new one. And Vice President Harris ain't going to be able to do that by herself. And I think President Biden knows that. And to me, cynicism alert, He's putting her there because he knows she's not going to be able to fix the problem. <laughs> no one person can. This is not a slight on Vice President Harris. It's a slight and an attack on the system that they are operating in. No one person is going to be able to deal with that. Come on. It's maintaining that system. He knows as president that one person can't get rid of all that and deal with it. It's got to be overturning the system completely. And there's no willingness to do that. So what do you expect's going to happen? <laughs> and then when Hillary Clinton, as first lady, tried to do something about health care, Republicans pummeled her. And then Bill Clinton, okay, backed off and said, nope, we've got to remove Hillary Clinton my wife, from this exercise. Why? She's trying to do things that hadn't been done in healthcare in America. Oh, oh my God, no, we can't. Who does she think she is? She's supposed to be first lady. She's supposed to know her place, said those Republicans. And what happened? Bill Clinton cowered, as he cowered to Newt Gingrich as well. And had that horrible crime bill pass. Oh, yes, the crime bill, which Joe Biden also voted for. Oh, my God, capitulation. And we can't let that happen anymore. Either we've got a primary cinema, we've got a primary mansion. These two Democrats in the Senate who don't want to get rid of this filibuster, not even for John Lewis. Well, we should, we should get rid of you then from your position as a senator. We should remove you. Joe Manchin, from that office by primarying you and Kirsten Sinema whenever her time comes again. Primary her ass. Primary his ass. People thumbing down $15 minimum wage for f federal workers. No, we don't want that. 
So she's going to bow and curtsy as send the cinema like a 10-year-old schoolgirl. Ugh. So disgusting. I even said that. You know? Really? You're going to bow and curtsy like you've got a queen in front of you? We've got to do better than this. We've got to. And this is who we are, right? The question is, do we want to be better than what we are? Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. Dear listener, dear listener, dear listener, you have to go right now, please. I want you to go to the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store because there's so much there waiting for you. So much. T-shirts, hats. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then you've got hoodies and pens and mugs. Oh my goodness me, it just never ends. I mean, you can get lost in there. You really can. So much more. Drinkware. Socks. That's right, socks. I mean, if you want to get fitted and kitted, this is the place to be. The Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. Shop there right now at the-politocrat.com. Dot myshopify.com. That's the dash politocrat dot myshopify.com. Thank you for your support.